Welcome to The Intersection, a podcast on spirituality and social justice with three women of different ages who live in three different states with three different skin colors. Grounded in spirituality and love, we strive to think, speak, and behave in ways that bring a better world for all people. We are willing to admit mistakes and missteps, excited to grow, and willing to make that growth public. We are so grateful that you've clicked play. Thank you for your willingness to grow with us. Hi, it's Carol. I am so glad you are listening to this podcast. This episode, the three of us dive into a conversation about being uncomfortable. This is such an important topic because so much of the inner work and the community work that we need to do in order to live in a more liberated world relies on our ability to withstand discomfort, to willingly walk through discomfort in order to find out what is possible on the other side. Again, you're listening to a work in progress. We're experimenting. We're messing up, we're learning, we're growing in our knowledge, both with the topics that we're talking about and in our ability to take our conversations and turn them into podcasts. Remember, we want this to be as real and raw as possible. So you'll hear the silences. You'll hear when our internet messes with us. You'll hear our children in the background. Find us at the period intersection period podcast on Instagram and connect with us while we are enjoying discussing with one another. We know our discussion is incomplete without you. Enjoy the podcast. So today we are talking about, today we are talking about how to be uncomfortable. And I know, Jamila, you hashtag a lot of things willing to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. I'm just going to start there with a question. Why do you hashtag things willing to be uncomfortable? Um, willing to be uncomfortable because the truth is hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that's always necessarily comfortable. The things that we're talking about, I'm not talking about usually something racial. Um, basically, the base of it is usually something hate based, right? And it's like being willing to be uncomfortable to acknowledge that this is real, this is happening, and what are we going to do about it? And also, I recognize that. You can't grow without being uncomfortable. So it's very, very important. And you can't get changed unless you're uncomfortable. So it's very, very important that we embrace the uncomfortability so we can get positive changes. So that's why I always hashtag it. And some of my stuff are kind of harsh realities or could be harsh realities for other people. So I'll be trying to um, soften the blow. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be uncomfortable. That's okay. (laughs) I was thinking about, you know, this morning I was thinking about this conversation that we're getting ready to have. And what came to me is, you know, nothing gets better when we ignore it. Your finances don't get better if you ignore it. Mm. Your health doesn't get better if you ignore it. Right. Like, so, so when we're talking about being willing to be uncomfortable in specific, like in specifically in terms of like enacting social changes, and recognizing that we have some really broken systems operating here in the U.S. specifically, but again, you know, globally, because that is the global narrative, we have to, like, we can't ignore it and expect it to get better. Therefore, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable because we're addressing something that's a hard conversation to have, you know? And I think that applies to everything. Like, if you need to improve your finances, it's uncomfortable to look at your finances and go, I got to make some changes. If you want to look at your health and you go, I got to make some changes, like, that's uncomfortable. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. So when we're talking about systems of white supremacy, systems of patriarchy, systems of capitalism, like, it's uncomfortable conversations. And add to that that we also, there's a level of uncomfortability because you know, we're bringing to the table different ideas, different experiences with the intent of growing and changing things. But there's also this level of being uncomfortable because we have to acknowledge how it's operating in ourselves. Oh, yes. Yes. All of our programming. So like, it's much easier to be like, no, that's not me. But if it's if it's how we are raised, if it's the the cultural conditioning that we are exposed to and we are, then it's operating in us somewhere. And so we have to be willing to go like, oh, it's uncomfortable because I got to say, like, how is that operating in me? 
So I think there's, you know, there's two levels to that discomfort. Yeah, that you're reminding me. So I just finished um, book clubbing The Body's Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. And there's a section in it where she talks about, like, she makes this metaphor about speaking French. Like, if you were born in France and you your parents speak to you in French and the TV is talking in French and everyone in the community is speaking French, you're going to speak French and nobody will ever have needed to taught to teach you that like like it like it's just the society you grew up in it's just how you were conditioned it's just how you grew and I think I I think that there's the the discomfort of recognizing that sometimes we grow up in brokenness like not sometimes like we've grown up in brokenness in this country and in these systems and like there's this attachment to oh but I I'm like I'm innocent like I'm a little kid like I was I was just speaking the language I was taught. And then now the recognition, like, the language is harmful, like, like it, and it's hurting people and it's damaging not just to other people, but to myself, like, is a really uncomfortable, uncomfortable thing. As you're talking about the uh, culture, the things you grew up with, kind of off subject in that. So uh, remember what we talked about before? We talked about how I said all black all skin folks like can skin folks. Yeah. So I was talking about that in my earlier meetings and it's something similar to that and it was articulated in such a beautiful way. She was like, this is eternal racism. You have been in this culture when people are like that they've been in this culture and they believe the stuff that have been said, the negative stuff. That's why you get black folks that get in place of power and they're just as oppressive as white people. And then I think about um I was also thinking about um, generational curses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of, that's how they work. And I think about like how in some families you'll have, there'll be sexual abuse of a, cu- or a cousin or uncle or someone will sexual abuse, right? And then everybody's like, hush, hush, hush. And it becomes this big secret, but every open secret that everyone knows. But then that trauma goes to the next generation as well. And then they think that this is a simple because this is the secret and we just don't talk about it and no one necessarily addresses it. And that's a lot of things that I think happens when we talk about things like race. We're not supposed to talk about that. And everybody knows that it's there. It's, I don't know. It's wild. You know, the we've talked about, I can't remember if we talked about it in this circle, but, you know, we talk about the idea of intersectionality of oppressions. And I think it's important to acknowledge intersectionalities of privilege as well, because they both play a part in our lives. Right. And so, again, I think that, you know, <clears throat> acknowledging privilege is acknowledging that there is a disparity and how it impacts our lives when we think that, or when someone thinks that, that oh, that's not me. But, like, there is an intersection of privilege. You know, for me, like, I have white privilege. I have, you know, middle class privilege. It doesn't always feel like privilege, but there are people that are not middle class, mm-hmm. right? So there are there are intersections of privilege as well that impact our lives. So we can't just look at just like how um, oppression plays into my life and then, but also how privilege plays into our life and how privilege plays into our life seems to be a more uncomfortable topic for people. It's really easy to say like, this is how I was done wrong, but to go like, Oh, but this is how I'm actually participating how I benefit from these systems. And by not calling it out, I'm participating in them. Mm. Ooh, you're making I me think that. of um, this. I learned a lot from um, Dr. Rosales Mesa, mm-hmm. and that, and she had this story once that she shared that the people who have caused her the most harm and the women of color that she knows are white women and then um, men of color, because those two identities will lean into their more oppressed side and not recognize the side of privilege. So like white women will often lean into their womanity, like their, like their identity as oppressed women and men of color will often lean into their color and forget about their, their privileges, men. Um, and I was like, dang, this is really pushing my thinking in really interesting ways. Um, cause like you, you do, like you have to analyze all of it and what you're, what you were saying about like 
it, nothing gets better unless we look at it. You're, the metaphor that's coming to my mind right now is like being willing to look at all the cards we're holding, like mm. all of the cards, because you can't play the game or like move forward unless you're looking at all the cards, the good cards and the bad cards and figuring out how to strategize, like how do, how do we win this game together? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that. So, so far we've acknowledged like how and why these things are uncomfortable. Now, maybe like, for me, it's like, okay, well, how do I stay with myself while being uncomfortable? Like, so the willingness to be uncomfortable, we know that there's uncomfortability in, in taking this on. So like, how do we actually stay with ourselves being uncomfortable? It all starts with a willingness, right? For we have to be willing to acknowledge this stuff that's in our lives. I think um, the the other thing that feels really important is learning from lots of different voices, Right. And so then I'm acknowledging that that uh, wisdom is everywhere, you know. Um, And the other thing is I having a community of people that are also willing to be uncomfortable and have these uncomfortable conversations is huge. Totally. That's what I one of the things that I love about this group, the three of us, is like this is a community where. It's about being uncomfortable and not being judged because I think that's part of what makes us feel uncomfortable is that we feel like we're going to be judged. Totally. And and it happens. And I feel like what you're saying too, um, like, and we could dive into a whole separate conversation about this, but I think that cancel culture makes people feel very afraid to make mistakes. And when we're afraid to make mistakes, then we are, we're afraid to learn. Like, if, if we're not willing to be uncomfortable, not willing to make mistakes, if we're not willing to admit we don't know, then we're saying, I don't want to learn. And then so we can't grow or be better. And another, your question about, like, how do you, how do we stay with ourselves? I think another, another thing I think about all the time is, like, um, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable and we have to remember who we really are because yeah. all of these parts of, of what makes up our experience isn't necessarily who we are. Like I, and I think all the time about how people, it's never a problem with people's people, people are beautiful. It's like the conditioning, the stuff that's layered upon the things that we won't let go of, like the unwillingness to be uncomfortable. Like, but like if we can remember who we are, if we could remember we're made of love, like if we could remember where we came from, if we could remember, then we can, then we can handle whatever is uncomfortable because we know we're born of love and love is the most powerful thing there is. Ah, but that's working under assumption that you know that. So this is one of the privileges where you talk about the intersectionality of privileges. Um, I, I had an awesome father. He was not perfect <laughs> anyways, but he was awesome. He always told me I was beautiful. He always told me, so. his biggest compliment, he's been gone for over 20 years. His big, biggest compliment to me that I keep thinking of is he told me that I like you. I really like you. He was talking about me as the person who I was. And I was a teenager then. He was like, I really like you. And I think about that sometimes for myself when I'm making decisions or when I'm in a stop place. Like, well, my father loved me and he liked me. Everybody doesn't have that experience. And I think one of the things that we really have to take into consideration is that your path and what you have in your life is not what everybody has. I have a couple of friends who I love dearly. They're friends since we were kids. But they're racist. They're black racists. They're black racists against black men. And it's racist about black people as a whole because they'll say something like, well, why don't you, why don't they do this? Everybody had opportunities. Everybody had it. But that's not true. I am blessed in a situation that I'm in. First, I'll say on the spiritual levels because I have God in my life, right? But on another level, I had people come into my life that told me I was the shit. I had people come into my life that told me that being black was powerful. I had people in my life tell me and show me that I was worthy. Everybody doesn't have that. And I think about, for me, as I walk my journey, think of how blessed I've been in my journey, how far I am from where I was when I first started as a kid. But at the same time, I recognize that I did not do it on my own. And it's, I'm an exception in the sense that 
I know that I am loved. I know that I'm worthy. I know so many people that don't. I know so many people that gets their worthiness from material things. And if they don't have money, they think they're worthless. You know, I see so many things that tear you from who you are. So to say that as long as you know who you are, well, most people don't. Most people are so busy that we're not allowed to figure it out. You know what I mean? So even that is a type of privilege, an intersection of privilege. It is also one of the backbones of why we have so many issues. Uh, I'll just say it in America because I'll leave it to America. But it's the assumption that you know better. It's the assumption of, okay, for example, we'll talk about selling drugs. Drugs are horrible. I've had drug addicts in my family. I've seen what drugs do to your your life, right? People mad at drug dealers, and I get that because you are supplying and destroying our community. Why are they doing this? Oh, so we're selling drugs because we need to pay our fucking rent. We need to eat. There are no real jobs here. I don't have the education for a job. Guess what? I had to drop out of school to help take care of my family. My mama is struggling or I'm struggling. These are real reasons. Mm-hmm. But instead of recognizing the lack of privileges that some people have, you look in judgment and say, why are they doing this? And you get in your high horse instead of having empathy and compassion. And you're assuming that they have other options. Yeah. So, like for example, we had a conversation. I had a conversation recently about student loans, and some people, you know, Joe Biden said he was going to cancel student loans. Now, of course, he took. God forgive me, but I'm going to say it anyway. He's too much of a punk, worried about other people that's trying to help the American people, right? So he's never going to cancel loans. It's going to hurt him, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt his boys and help his political thing, right? And it might just be because he don't have the perspective. But some people are like, "Why should your loans be canceled?" I had to pay mine. I had to do it all by myself. Guess what? Everybody don't have that option. Yep. I don't have the option of going to mama and daddy for money. Shit. I'm one of the first people to graduate from college in my family. So, or I don't live in a place where I can just sit. I'm black and low income. I can't just get a bank loan. You know what I mean? So, for you to have, or I might not have good grades because guess what? I was working. I was going to school. I was taking care of my sisters and brothers. I wasn't able to save up money for school. All this privilege. And you're assuming, so you make these assumptions about people. And that's what kind of fucked us up as a whole, I think. I think what you're saying too, like to, to go to that specific example of student loans, like I, like the, again, to point out the brokenness of the culture where we, we breathe in, um, like the, the idea that they should suffer because I did. Yeah. It was like such broken thinking. It's so broken. <laughs> like, okay, okay, it was hard for you to pay your loans, but you did it. Like, you want this other person to experience the hardship too? Like, that's fucked up. Like, that is- we're, we shouldn't want one another to be in pain. Like, that's so broken. Isn't that a revenge, an eye for eye type of thing? Well, because I did work hard, you worked hard, I worked hard to get this, so you should be able to get this. I think, too, like, again, I think that so much of what we just talked about is a function of capitalism. Because that broken thinking is, you know, that um, the, the capitalism requires us to think that there's not enough to go around, and so we have to compete for it. So that broken thinking of, I had to do it by myself, it was hard, you need to do it, too, is because we have this idea of, competition and and that there's not enough to go around when the truth is this is a truly abundant universe right and again access to that information is not widely available it depends on privilege and cultural and familial experiences and capitalism requires us to feel like we're not enough exactly as we are in order to perpetuate itself so when you're talking about like we have to do these things to either feel worthy or be participating in society that's all a function of capitalism. Capitalism requires us to feel unworthy in order to perpetuate itself. If everyone recognized I'm fine exactly as I am, they mm-hmm. don't need to do shit. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and that's why, and, and to me, like, that's what I see. And I know you two both, both talk about this a lot too. Like, 
like the unwillingness to be uncomfortable stems from a lack of acknowledgement or recognition of the worthiness within. Like, mm-hmm. like I can't, I can't be uncomfortable because I don't think I'm good. I, like, I don't think I could survive it. Like, I don't think, I don't think I could navigate it. Like, I'm scared of it. Like, I'm not sure how, like, what's the point of it? Like, it feels good here and I feel worthy here. Like, I'm getting my sense of self over here and, and, and discomfort will challenge all of that. And so, like, if you're not centered, if you're not, like, in a place where you recognize your wholeness, it's like it becomes really challenging to ask someone to be uncomfortable. How about this? The unwillingness to be uncomfortable is your is your fear. Is you walking in fear. Yeah. So it's actually kind of I'm sorry, I was gonna say it very roughly and I shouldn't. So it's you walking in fear, that's you manifesting fear. So you're you're more comfortable with people being harmed and you not being uncomfortable than you being then you being willing to change you're scared of, you're afraid it's fear-based period it's just all fear-based it is all bullshit and i agree 100 percent with that it is fear and i also think that sometimes like <clears throat> when we look at all of what is broken it can feel really overwhelming and so we get to that place of like I can't do anything about it. So then it becomes easier to ignore it because we feel like we can't impart any change. And, and I think that's in part human nature to feel like, how do I one person take on, take on this huge thing, right? I call it Mount overwhelm. Like we stand at the bottom of this mountain, we look at the top and, and think like we have to fix everything all, all at once versus recognizing that, by having these conversations were part of the solution, right? So we get overwhelmed and we just say, fuck it, I can't do it. But 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 being willing to be uncomfortable and having the conversation is being part of the change, right? And that is like a, a, a small, sweet step that everybody can take if they're willing to be uncomfortable. And, but it's, it's a mind trip though. I like this morning, I, I started journaling about how, how capitalism, how capitalism like has wired us to think that things happen outside in. Like I have to do action. I have to do to make change. Um, and the, what you're talking about right now requires inside out, like that the outside world begins to change. If I like tackle this stuff within me, if I'm willing to tackle that inside me, if I'm willing to be like capitalism says, do, 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 and, like, a, a form of resistance is to, like, know how do I be? Like, uh, like it maybe it's not about doing. Maybe it's about, like, being and figuring out the world I want to live in and living in it right now. Um, and then starting to see the places that don't line up with that and, like, addressing it. Like, going, oh, that, that doesn't line up with the world I want to live in. Like, let's talk about it. Let's, like, how do I shift my beingness to go in a different direction? I just want to uplift. I want to uplift Michael Jackson at this point. My favorite song, and it is totally relevant today, and what we are is Man in the Mirror. Yep. I'm looking forward to, if you want to mm. make the world a better place, look inside yourself and make a change. Yep. And that is so true. And what we were talking about um, earlier about people wanting other people to suffer, um, I, I don't remember exactly how phrase, but the flip side of that is people that have never suffered, that always have privilege, sometimes have no thought of people that haven't had privilege. So that's why it's like, well, why don't you just, like what Anne-Marie said, what she, Aquanette said, well, they just, there's no bread. Well, let them eat cake. She had no concept that, you know, it's a flower in the wheat and apparently if they can't have bread, they can't have cake. But she's like, oh, it's just a choice. But it's not. But when you've never had the struggle or you've never been in that situation, you've never even thought to think because at school, currently, they won't teach correct history. They won't tell you what other people are going through, which is also them stopping empathy and compassion. The fight against critical race theory it is fear-based, number one, but it's also hurting our children because 
they can't, this is an opportunity for them to learn empathy and compassion. When people know that a lot of black people or people of color, I'm going to talk about black people specifically because that's what I know. But people know that, you know, yeah, slavery was ended, Jim Crow kicked in. Yeah, we had our own cities, but they were burnt down and flooded. Yep. Or or how about the fact that, yeah, civil rights ended, the um, racism um, rules or whatever, segregation, but it didn't count on, it doesn't take an effect. The war on drugs was really a drug war on black communities or the war on the war of or how if you want um welfare back in the day, like in the seventies and eighties, that you had to have a you couldn't have a man in the house, which is why we got broken families. Why black people don't know their kids, their fathers? Well, you know, the government purposely did that. Or we don't have a home ownership because of redlining. If people knew this, they will be so quick to judge and talk about how terrible or awful everybody is. So it's really about us again being willing to up be uncomfortable and that does start with us that starts with us because we have to change our thinking our thinking thinking and walk in love and empathy i think about um some metaphor i've used in the past about like discomfort is like anything new is going to be a little uncomfortable like um like if you get a brand new phone like there's going to be this like Oh, which buttons? Like, what do I do? How do I get to the app? How do I get to the thing? And that doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, yay. I'm like, I don't know how to use my phone. It feels uncomfortable. But then like with a little practice and with like, and then you start to get used to it and then you recognize, oh, like this is a, like, I leveled up my phone. Like, I feel like we don't have that same willingness to level up our reality. Like, like I, I, I think about, um, a piece of history I think about a lot is I think about the Loving versus Virginia case, the, the case that um, legalized interracial marriage in all 50 states. And that was only 1967. That, so my right to be married to my husband is, 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 <laughs> my mom is older than that right. Like, that's crazy to me. My mom's older than my right to be married to my husband. And then I think about like, wow, if I flash back to that time period and if, like, interracial marriage was, like, so looked down upon, like, and, and it wasn't a thing, like, there was probably, there was massive discomfort when people started to see these kinds of relationships. Like, that, like, because they had never seen it before. And it took the society, like, a big willingness to, like, be uncomfortable. Okay, those, like, I guess that's love, like that willingness in order to shift us to where we are right now. And I think about like, how do we get more people to be willing to like buy the latest model of our reality and like level us up? Like, I, don't, I hate that I use like language of capitalism and like buying and exchanging, but like, how do we level, how do, how do we get people to pick up like a, a better thing? And I think, dang, it's because people don't, people feel like this thing that we're in is the only option. I feel like that's like, like something that I keep running into, especially when I have conversations with people that I'm like, well, what if, what if it was like this? Like, what if, what if the world was like this? People are like, well, this is how it's always been. Like, this is what works. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't think it works. That's one of the issues that I'm really running into lately that, um, that kind of thought process I've had. People are so afraid of changing things, even when they know it's wrong and broken. So well, this is always how it is. Well, we know that it's broken. Why aren't we changing it? And it's one of the reasons why I move the way I do, even with the whole running for school board thing. It was about, it was me looking at things and like, this is so stupid. Science tells us that our kids learn this way. This is so stupid. We know we need a smaller class of size. This is so stupid. I'm like, these are all common sense things. That you know, why aren't we changing it? School hasn't changed in over 200 years. Why can't we change it? People are so scared. Ah! It is, it's just hilarious and sad to me. You can make this world anything you want. Especially, and it kills me too. It's, it's collective. I was speaking about the, um, when we were talking about the critical race theory. So I'd be on Facebook every once in a while. And I saw this, um, I saw this ad that was trying to 
shoot down critical race theory, right? And so I'm looking through the comments. I want to comment, but everything you ain't got to comment on. I'm looking through the comments, and so many people are pro learning actual history. Why is it that people are fighting so hard not to? Because they never have before. This is always how it's been. But we know it doesn't work. And we have to be strong enough, brave enough, willing to change things so they can work when we know it's right. When you know better, you do better. You're walking in the house every day and you're walking through mud and you walk through your house and you get mud all over your house. You're going to eventually learn to take off your shoes. Because if you know better, it's the same thing with this as a whole. But people are so fear. Fear is the enemy. Fear yeah. is the enemy. I think, <clears throat> I think that there is a huge fear. Again, it's fear of the unknown. So we don't know how, like what it'll look like, right? <clears throat> and that's, <clears throat> excuse me, human nature. And again, a function of white supremacy, patriot or patriarchy and capitalism is to fear the unknown, right? Because then it, then it allows these systems to perpetuate themselves, right? I think there's fear of taking it on, tackling, fear of being uncomfortable, fear of not getting what we want slash need or fear of losing what we have, right? Um, I think it's so there, it's, it's, it's twisty and you know, I was, this is another thing I was thinking to talk about, you know, we talk about like critical race theory keeps coming up, but the fact that there is a black history month is just proof that black history is not being left out. Right. The fact that we have a Latin Latinx history month, Latino history month is proof that that is left out of the story. So inherent in having these like months honoring these cultures that are us <laughs> that are us acknowledges that that is left out of the story that we are getting a biased version of history if we have to talk about it but no one says that out loud totally and it's and it's tricky too because it's like it, it it's that kind of way that we have to duly navigate because it's like this is proof that it's broken, but also this is what we have. So like, so I need to learn from what we have until we can figure out how to do better. I, I am, I, it, it's, I think I would have been so much more interested in history class growing up if I had been taught history in a more rounded way. Like, I just really, I, I my, my interest in history like really sparked in my adulthood because of some moments of discomfort because I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, why is it like that? And like this, this weird thing inside me that was like, I feel uncomfortable. Like I don't, I can't, I can't put those things together. They don't make sense to me. And I, and I was like, man, I'm missing pieces. And then I was like, okay, it's time to go teach myself some history. Like, and I think to, and the topic of critical race theory keeps coming up. Like one of the tenets of critical race theory is interest convergence that like we have to, we have to like find the common ground. We have to find the common ground. And I think that's what makes it so threatening. Like I think it, it I think that's part of what makes it so threatening that it, it asks us to, find the commonalities that sew us together and when we find commonalities we build coalitions <laughs> when we build coalitions like that's when we're unionizing and unifying and that's when power structures topple like that's why like like uh big corporations are so afraid of and put in so much um money to oppose the unionization of their workers because that's dangerous. It topples the power structure. It topples like these things that keep the wealthy wealthy. And that, and I just, I, I'm just so like the things that, that ask us to, to, to find our oneness are often vilified, are Absolutely. often vilified. Absolutely. Have you ever thought about the fact that well, I think about critical race theory that I will also notice that I hashtag often is critical thinking. That's the real deal. The more you know, the more you put pieces together, the more you, more powerful you become. So 
that our schools right now, even our schools right now, does not teach you how to critically think. They program you. And when you try to get something like critical race theory, or when you try to get unionizations, when you try to get we the people to actually be we the people, the power structure shakes and crumbles, and then they do stuff to slow us down. Like, don't, don't bite it. I know I'm talking about this bastard. Look, Joe Biden this week came out with a plan about being harder on gun crime, right? On gun crime. Do you know, do you recognize, first off, as a distraction from all the other shit that's going on, you want to once again focus on gun violence? That's because you're trying to pull up your, pull up the white people that's afraid, messing with their, their fear, and especially with what just happened here in Michigan with the um, shooting. And it distracts you from the other stuff you did. We don't need another crime bill. We need a we, you know, we do need that build America better, better because infrastructures are for shit. We haven't done anything in 40 or 50 years and we know better. We can do it safer and we're not doing it. But instead, it's to follow the rabbit. It's follow the shiny. And we're just not doing a good job of a lot. We have to be willing to allow ourselves to learn, get more information so you can make better decisions. But right now you just, yeah, following shiny. And that doesn't work for us. Okay, should you you should read the characteristics of white supremacy about the um, denial and you to read it a lot on podcast so other people can hear it. Yeah, yeah, we should. When we when we get to those when we get to those um, episodes, like I'm excited to pull straight from that because we got we have some stuff to talk about. Like everything in this conversation is related to those tenants in one way or another. Um, I I think I want to pose the question here, and I know Amanda, you kind of posed it earlier, but I wonder, like at the end of this conversation, how we would each answer this. Like, how would you help people? Um, become more willing to be uncomfortable? Like, what what advice would you give to people who are like, okay, I recognize that I'm scared of being uncomfortable. Like, what do I do about it? You know, I think the first thing I'd say is it's <laughs> being, being uncomfortable isn't going to kill you. Like, it is going to m- make you stretch and grow. So, so first and foremost, know that you will survive it. Start there and know that it is, you know, again, coming back to like what I said earlier, like if nothing gets better by ignoring it, right? So if you want to have better quality relationships, better quality life, then we have to be willing to be uncomfortable to grow in any respect, And so knowing that it's not going to kill you, that you will survive it and to connect with people that are also like, again, that community who are also willing to be uncomfortable, ideally that don't have the same experiences as you. Right. And um, that feels like a safe community to push your thinking and grow in. Uh, For me, I think that the first thing I would tell them that, it's human to be uncomfortable. It's human to be afraid. And that's okay. You're not alone in that. But recognize that being uncomfortable is always, when you get to the end of that, it's always something beautiful. Giving birth is uncomfortable. Then you end up with this beautiful baby. No, honestly, going to school for the first time is uncomfortable. Then you end up with all these friends and stuff. Doing a podcast is uncomfortable. But you end up with something so beautiful. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's scary. Yes, it is. And it's uncomfortable. But baby, we got to push through because we want better. Do you like where we're standing right now? If you are comfortable and you like it and you think it's all grandiose, then stay in your uncomfortability. But if you think that there is something wrong, if you think that change needs to happen, you need to push through your effort uncomfortability and you have to be brave enough to push through it because it's not even about it's not even about you being uncomfortable as much as it's about you 
being afraid. So will you have the courage? Do you have the courage to make a change? Do you have the courage to help us all be better? And I want to address something that you said earlier. Um, it was about uh, people being uncomfortable. Gosh, what was that? I'm laugh. Um, I lost my train of thought. I have to think about it. But it was really important. So I, I'm going to think about it again. You go on. <laughs> I... Okay, while you think about that, I think I would say to someone who who's now recognized, I'm, I'm afraid of being uncomfortable, now what do I do? Um, I, I, I think I would say nourish yourself, but don't just stay there. Like, don't just stay in a space where you're like, because this is like the, the problem I see with like spiritual communities that are focused on love and light all the time. Like, like they just stay there. Like, like you nourish yourself so that you can grow and expand and like help and, and make things better. Like you, you fill up your cup so that you can give freely and generously, like so that you can face the challenging and like, and, and birth the next thing. Like you were saying, Jamila, like, like face that discomfort, you know? Um, I think, I think too, I would say, um, and I know Amanda, you talked about like finding community that is, um, different from your own experiences. I also think finding community who has, who is the same as your experiences, like affinity spaces can be so, so healing, like, um, finding people who have navigated things and who have shared pieces of your identity so that you could go, Oh, how, like, and watch how people navigate through those pieces of their identity. I mean, even this, like the three of us, because, even inside affinity, you find difference, right? Like you find all of the, like, this is technically where there's no man here. So this is like a woman's affinity, but even in our woman's affinity, we have all these radical differences between all of our shared experiences. And so I think in addition to finding people with different experiences, finding people with the same ones and like figuring out how to navigate together. One thing that I think is important in again for all of this that we each have talked about you know each of the three of us have a personal relationship with the divine and and i i think that is important it's how we recognize our internal worth and for me that was really being willing to recognize that this is a relationship that i get to choose so you know years ago when i really first started on my my intentional spiritual journey I didn't like capital G God, capital H him. Like it just rubbed me wrong. I didn't like it. It didn't feel like something that was um, good and familiar and, 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 and loving to me at that time. And so I set out to be like, okay, well, what, what does feel good and comfortable and loving, right? So like I really use the word divine or divine oneness, because that to me represents that energy. Now, I also say God, right? That is, and I don't have a problem with it now because I got to the point where I chose to have a personal relationship. And it wasn't just about, you know, continuing on with the dominant narrative or things that I was taught to believe. Like I really kind of looked at it as going, not just critically, but like what, what feels good to me? Because then when that allows me to have a personal relationship. And so when I can have a personal relationship with the divine, like you were saying earlier, that then I can go, I remember who I really am. Right. And then I get to have. So for me, a personal relationship, whatever that looks like, whatever word you want to use, whatever feels good to you, but a personal relationship with something greater than yourself um, kind of grounds us in order to be able to be uncomfortable. Interesting. That's a very interesting perspective. And I agree. That is the great thing, the thing that we all have in common besides being women is that we all have a, um, a spiritual relationship. And that does, I know when I'm getting lost and confused and crazy, that is kind of what I go back to. And as we talk about, um, as we talk about this, it's about knowing that I trust that no matter what situation I get into, no matter how uncomfortable, how crazy, I trust that I'm going to be okay. I may not be okay at this second, but I know it's just a temporary thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from my faith. Mm 
And I think that's why I could be so balls to the wall and be like, yeah, we're going to do this <laughs> or, you know, or speak my mind. Cause it's like ultimately my God, my relationship with God, ancestors, whatever you call it, um, is strong enough that it's going to carry me through. And I think that another one of our issues, I love the, I can't stand the Hugh, he drives me crazy, right? <laughs> he makes, he's one of those people you love to hate, right? But he said something that I thought was so beautiful and so real and so crazy. He was talking about, uh, I fucked up. He said that evangelical, evangelical, what type of Christians are those? Evangelical. Okay, thank you. That's an um, American Christian because there's nowhere else that you can vote somebody like Trump that was a, a, a sexual abuser of women and children that stole money from people with that pro- at college, all that stuff, and <laughs> and still say you're God, but at the same time, Bill Clinton lied about getting a blowjob, which is a totally personal thing, and they were on his head about it. My relationship with God allows me to know that no matter what I go through, I'm going to get through. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what helps me be able to be uncomfortable. Yep. And I know it's a growth thing. <clears throat> and it is true that, excuse me, it is true that if we're unwilling to be uncomfortable, we can't change. We can't grow. And if you're in a bad situation, do you want to stay there? you got to be uncomfortable. It is, it is like an interesting, um, I, like if we, if we take the, the metaphor that the culture we live, like this is the air we breathe. The air we breathe is this patriarchal, white supremacist, colonized, capitalistic air. Um, it's the air we breathe. If we accept that, that metaphor, um, it's just like Don, it, to ask someone to give that up is to ask them to breathe a different air. And like, that's like, what do you mean breathe different air? Like, this is the air I've been breathing this whole time. Like, what do you mean breathe different air? Like, are you crazy? Like, I'm going to die without air. And I am like, wow, it's because nobody, so many people haven't tasted what better air could look like. It's like people who have been um, breathing the smog of, of, like, L.A. traffic forever and going and then, like, finally tasting mountain air. And, like, never realizing that that was a thing to begin with. But it takes that, like, moment of discomfort of, I promise you're going to still breathe. It's just not going to be this air. It's going to be another kind of air. Um, but that's scary because it's, like, it's, like, a weird moment of, uh, of like, I don't, like, the, the metaphor you're talking about, Jamila, earlier about birth is, like, it keeps sticking with me. Like, it because in in when giving birth like when when navigating that that is like this willingness to be uncomfortable and it's also like on some levels a willingness to face your mortality like and i know that we're talking about discomfort is we're not going to die um but maybe maybe a piece of us that's not working anymore a piece of our identity that think something that has grabbed onto our identity that we thought was our identity for so long Maybe that can fall away, but that's scary. Um, mm-hmm. That's scary. It's like, try this new air. <laughs> try this new air. Try breathing this. Um, but I, I, I like, I'm like, dang, how do we get people to go to, to get excited about breathing in the mountain air? Yeah. And one of the, go ahead. I think that uh, one of the things is, to acknowledge and recognize that you're not alone. We all feel uncomfortable sometimes. It is a scary. Even the people that are quote unquote woke at one point wasn't. And they had to get uncomfortable to get to where they are. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. There's something wrong with acting in fear. There's something wrong when you allow your fear to direct your actions because there anything I've learned in my personal life Anything that's done out of fear ends up fucked up. Right. Oh, I'll just be dropping bombs too. Is that okay? <laughs> but, um, yup. There okay. it <laughs> But we have to be willing. And that's, I think, when we talk about our commonality, that's a commonality. 
the problem is that we have to recognize that the problem with patriarch capitalism and racism, the problem with that is the fact that it's not based in love and the fact that, oh shit, I lost my train of thought, Carol. <laughs> I do that often. It's okay. It's you know, you know, I wanna I wanna celebrate that for a moment because I think that the like we're also really used to journeys being linear and this is not a linear journey. So when we lose our trains of thought, when we spiral in different directions, like that's okay. Like it's cause it's complicated. Like there's a lot going on. And like and and I think we need to move in ways that are not the ways that we're used to moving. Yep. I, I remembered. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Are, are you sure? <laughs> I'm good. You go. Okay. The, uh, the problem with it is, is that it tells us not to be afraid. It tells us that um, it's not okay to be afraid. It's not, it's not okay to be unsure. And it denies our humanity. What it all comes down to, this is our common thread is that we're all human. And all, that means we all fear, feel pain. We all feel fear. We all feel love. We all feel anger. You know, these are things that we all feel, but it's not about, there's never anything wrong with your emotions. It's how you act as a result of those, mm-hmm. how you work as a result of those. Yep. So yeah, that was what I'll say. Um, you know, when, Carol, when you were talking about like, you know, breathing different air, which I love that metaphor, um, those are two really big fears because what it calls up is who will I be if I breathe different air and will I be okay, right? So it literally is like survival and identity and those are really big fears, you know, to shift those things. And then the other thing that I, you know, I love when you're talking about like there's a difference between having fear and acting from fear, right? So Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a book called Big Magic, and in it she talks about she got to the point where she realized that when she sets out on a creative journey, she's an author, so she's talking specifically about writing books but a creative life, she she recognized like she got to a point where she realized fear was always there. Like she kept waiting to not be afraid to do this thing. And then she realized, okay, Fear's along for the ride. So she has a conversation with fear. Like, listen, I know you're coming on the ride, but you have to sit in the back seat. You don't get to touch the radio and you never get to drive. Right. And like that has helped me so much because it's like, again, like, all right, fear, like, come on, we're going. I get to take it outside of myself. So then it's not driving me. Acknowledge that it's always going to be there and be like, come on, get in, close your door. Come on, put your seatbelt on. Here we go. I love that. That's so good. That's so good. That is so good. Okay. Let's, mm, this is such a, I mean, I feel like we could, we could keep going on this topic of discomfort and we will like every, everything that we talk about is going to like get into this a little little bit, but let's, I'm going to invite us to close with like one one a one sentence takeaway from this conversation a willingness to be uncomfortable is always be, comes before great change and it only takes willingness that fear can only bind us as much as we allow it and we could do great things if we just have the courage to go through the storm and a storm doesn't doesn't have to be a huge storm, but and you're not doing it alone, and you're not doing it alone. Mm. And I think mine is discomfort is where the growth is. Let's grow. Let's go. Let's grow. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We are excited to continue talking and we can't wait to incorporate all it is that you have to say too. Find us and talk to us. How is it that you go about being uncomfortable?